Are you working at getting to a place in your life where you could be like David and you can say, yes, Lord, whatever you want, I will do it. If it means getting rid of some things in my life, I'll do it. If it means changing perhaps my outlook on life, Lord, I'll do it. If you could turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 101. Psalm 101. Our theme from camp uh, just a week or so ago is from this chapter. Actually, it's the entire chapter. Psalm 101. Lord, I will. Dot, dot, dot. Is that something that you could say? Lord, whatever you want. And you leave a, a signature, a line, you, you sign the paper, and you just give your life to the Lord. It's blank. And you just let God fill in the rest of your story. And that's difficult for many of us because we want to at least see the outline. You know, before you, if you're in college, sometimes before you take a class, you may want to know what the syllabus is. Or, uh, well, what's being offered? What, what are they going to teach me? What's going to happen? But we don't oftentimes just sign up for a class. We don't know the name of. We don't know the title. We don't know what the projects are. We don't know if it's going to, how it's going to affect my life. We want to, we want to know the details but now imagine allowing God to just have control of your life. Psalm chapter 101, and uh, actually the teens may even know this by hearts. I say teens, but teens and non-teens leaders as well. This was our memory verse for, this, for, this, for the week. And try to memorize the chapter. I should make one of you come up here. But I won't do that because it might ruin the spirit. <laughs> But if, you could, if you're in Psalm 101, if you could stand with me as we're going to read just these eight verses here. Psalm 101. Sing it all together. Uh, say it all together, not sing it. Psalm 101, verse 1. Ready and begin. I will sing of mercy and judgments. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sights. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you so much for a camp for the Bible, for the life of David, his character, his, his heart for you. He certainly wasn't perfect, but there were the majority of his life he spent striving to be the best for you. And he left us some guidelines here, some, some things for us to consider how we can get to that point as well. Lord, help us to be who we need to be and to learn what we can from Psalm 101. We pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. At camp this year, I had everybody, just about every, before each lesson, I had them turn to page six and their camp books. 
And on page six, we have what we call here a camp declaration. And I sort of have it, have it here for you. You don't really have to be able to see it because we're going to go through it in just, a, in just a little bit. But on this uh, camp declaration, it's simply, there's six points. And at the end of these six points, there's an option for you to write your name, to sign and dates, signifying that we will do our best to uphold these six things. What are these six things? They're right here from Psalms 101. And that's what we're going to go through. Because, excuse me, the Bible says in verse number one, I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. The first I guess you can say the first point on this declaration that we were challenging the teens all throughout the week to be able to sign is, I will sing unto the Lord. I will sing. When we consider today music and its, and its meaning, its impact on society, well, it's immense. Music is it's everywhere. It's in what we do. Uh, just for fun, when I, when I was figuring out learning how to uh, put movies together, and I was watching some tutorials and uh, learning the power of music. And the challenge was to create, and I had uh, actually, uh, I got also this challenge from John White as well, uh, Pastor Sam. We created this, uh, this scenario, this, this video of just a camera slowly going down a hallway. That's all it was doing, just, just going down a normal hallway. It wasn't really dark, it was just a hallway. Now, add some party music to it, some happy birthday music to it. Now, when you're watching the video, it feels like, oh, there's a birthday party at the end of the hallway. Great. Now I use the same exact clip and put some creepy music in there. Now you don't want to watch it anymore. I don't want to know what's through the neck, through that door. It's the same clip. All they did was just change the music. Music has an effect on us today. Music is a way that we can worship the Lord. We worship him. That's why it's so important that we have music in church, and it's important that our music does worship God. Not worship ourselves, or lift ourselves up, or I don't like that music. It doesn't make me feel happy. Well, you're not in church to make yourself feel happy. You're in church to worship God. So it's important that we study, we, we understand, and we try to do our best to learn what music would best please God, especially inside church. But when we consider the word sing and what it stands for, singing, worshiping the Lord, it's interesting the two things that David says here in verse 1. I will sing of mercy. Mercy. Well, that's easy. I like worshiping the Lord of his mercy. Thank you, Lord, for everything I don't deserve. I mean, that's, that's a pretty easy one. I think most Christians, well, every Christian should know that we don't, deserve, we don't deserve anything that we have. Everything is a gift from the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Easy to sing of the mercies. But what is that second word there? I will sing of mercy and... What is that word? What is it? Sing of judgment? Okay. We should write a song on the judgments of God. That's what David said. David not only worshiped God... His mercy, but also his judgments. Sometimes when he would come down, when the discipline had to take place, and you read David's story, 
He was judged many times. He messed up before God. He got disciplines. Absolutely he did. And he came to a point in his life where he could say, Lord, I can worship you even of your judgments. Even when I'm getting in trouble, I will sing of the Lord. I will worship him. That's a different story. Learning to continually worship and even thank God when you're the one that's being disciplined. Normally, it's when the discipline's done, then we look back and say, all right, I deserve that. Thank you, Lord. But imagine worshiping and, and thanking God during it, while it's happening. You know you messed up or you know something went wrong. You know you're at fault. And in the middle of the process, you say, Lord, I am sorry for what I did. Lord, I also know that I don't, I, I deserve perhaps what may come. And Lord, so be it. I will continue to worship your name. Not going to get into the theology of music here. Like we had a little bit more time at camp to do so. But just understand this. that Do you sing unto the Lord? Is your music, is your worship unto God? If God were to be able to grab your, your iPod, your phone... And listen to your playlist. Listen to the music that you listen to the most. And stick it in his ear. What he, could he sit on the couch at your house and listen to it? Does your music glorify the Lord? I will sing unto the Lord. But look at verse 2. Verse 2 in Psalm 101. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. <laughs> I will behave myself wisely. Some of the parents are going, yeah, preach that to my kid. <laughs> Man, bring them back to camp again. Behave myself wisely. But this isn't just for kids. There's a lot of adults that don't behave themselves very wisely. David made this pact. He said, Lord, I will behave myself wisely. And interesting, keep your finger here in Psalm 101, but look back at 1 Samuel 18. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. David doesn't just say this of himself, it's actually said of his character in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And uh, look in verse 14. This is after David, now he's been anointed king of Israel. Saul is very jealous. He, he tries to kill David twice. After Saul has tried to kill David, this is what's said of David in verse 14. Saul, uh, 1 Samuel 18, 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Isn't that interesting? David's not just saying this of himself in Psalm 101. This is from the outside looking in saying David was wise. Not just that, but David's enemy, Saul, said, no, no, he's not wise. He's very wise. He's behaving very maturely right now, and it scared him. Because when we behave ourselves wisely in the sight of God, it scares the devil. It scares the world. It scares them. They don't know what to do with this. When, when, especially when somebody young, and David was young in this situation. He, was, he wasn't even really an adult yet. He wasn't king at this point. And when you see somebody young giving their life to God, be, act, be act, acting wisely, maturely, 
to those who are encouraging it, they love it, of course. But to the enemy, those that seek to destroy, they get scared. They get frightened. David, before he came to the throne, was acting wisely. How was your behavior? I know at church we have a church behavior. I know at work we may have a work behavior. But I know many of friends, many of people growing up who were one way at church. And at work, their language changed a little bit. Their attitude changed a little bit. Their body movements changed a little bit. They weren't quite the person that we perceived them at church. And then you, they get home and their attitude at home is a bit different. They're, the way they talk, their tone to their wife and to their kids, they're, they're, this character they seem to have at church, it seemed to be a bit different at home. So my question to you is, how do you behave yourself when no one's around, when only God can see what's going on? This idea of wisely simply means maturity, integrity. Isn't that what maturity is? It's acting right all the time. Immaturity, oftentimes, and I know that's not really the exact proper definition, but when you look at a kid, sometimes, uh, I guess now that I'm a parent, I'll be using a lot of kid analogies, won't I? Especially, uh, maybe I'll stop when Titus gets older, so I won't make fun of him too much. But as a kid, you know, there's moments where, oh, he's such a good kid. Oh, you're so sweet. We used to make fun of my, my, uh, his, uh, my in-laws, uh, Lolo and Lola. They used to say, oh, Titus is such a prodigy. He's probably one of the smartest there is in his class. It's like, just wait till you move in. You'll see. He's not, he's not as smart as you think. Uh, he, in fact, he's, he's quite the opposite at times. <laughs> Behaving yourself wisely, it's not really expected all the time of a four-year-old. But there will come a point in your life where, where it is expected of you. And it seems that the, the age upon which we feel we should mature we, we seem to push that off as long as possible. Teenagers are, are great at this. We try to push it off as long as possible. I just want to be a kid as long as I can. And it's good to enjoy your childhood, absolutely. But there has to come a point in your life where you need to look up to God and say, Lord, I want to behave myself wisely. I want to mature and develop myself into the young person that I need to be. And it helps parents when they have you as an example. When they have you as a godly every day-to-day example. Because they know if you're acting one way at church and you're acting different at home, they, they, they see the hypocrisy. So if they have you as an example all throughout the day at work, around your friends, that's going to really help them become the person that they need to be. But David didn't stop there. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. The house. The third thing here on this pact that we wrote out for the teens was simply to walk with a perfect heart. To walk with a perfect heart. But it's David specifically says, in my house. As a youth pastor, I've done so much research and reading and trying to look at different sides and sometimes I'll read some secular articles and, and, and Christian articles trying to get to the bottom of where a lot of pain and heartache and frustration comes from from young people. Oftentimes, how does somebody who appears to be in a great home one day go astray? 
How, and believe me, there's many different reasons why. There's not just one. But trying to study and research just to better equip myself so I know how to teach and preach to the young people as well. And like I said, there are many, many reasons. But you could almost always, in, 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 a, in a lot of the cases, you could narrow it back down to something that takes place in the home. It's not always the parent's fault. Sometimes it's just the kid itself uh, getting caught up with the wrong influences or allowing themselves to get led astray. But oftentimes, it's the home. The home. You read the Bible, the home is where the child is supposed to learn how to walk in the ways of the Lord. It's the parent's responsibility. Oftentimes, we get, that, we get it mixed up. We say, oh, I just need to send my kid to church and let them make my kid good and better. But it, it starts in the home. If a kid learns about God at church and then goes home to something that's contrary to what they're learning, how, how, how are we supposed to teach them? How are we supposed to train them when they're getting two separate messages? Walking with a perfect heart. David's this idea of perfect simply meaning complete. It's, just, it's innocent. It's, it's upright. David just said, Lord, I want my heart to be as close to you as it possibly can be. Specifically, in my house. David was the king. Kings, people who are famous, they kind of, uh, or people that have positions, oftentimes they, they kind of, you know what they say, they live in like a glass bowl. Everybody could, everyone's looking at their life and everyone's watching them and even mimicking what they do. David wanted to make sure, and from what we can tell, it's possible David wasn't even king yet when he wrote Psalm 101. And if that's true, David's saying, look, one day I'm going to be king. Or maybe he was king already. He may say, I'm king now. I'm the king. I got to make sure my home is right where it's supposed to be. Now we know David's story. David didn't have the best home. He had a lot of turmoil. And that's because of his sin and his judgments. And he knows this when, it, when the time will come. But do you walk perfectly in your house? Around your children? Do you walk with God uh, teens, do you walk with God around your parents? Do you treat your parents like God would have you to treat them? Do you walk with God around your siblings? Or do you live for God at church, but sort of ignore him when it comes home time? What do, you, do, you, do you serve God? Do you walk with God in a perfect way in the, in the darkness of your room? I'm not just talking to teens, but parents too. When no one seems to be watching, when it's just you by yourself, comfortable in your home, are you worshiping God? Are you setting yourself right? Do you have a perfect heart? But look at verse number three. So I will sing unto the Lord. I will behave wisely. I will walk with a perfect heart. Number, number, uh, verse number three here. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave Unto me. Number four, I will set no wickedness before me. I don't really need to park on this too long. It's pretty self explanatory. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I will protect my eyes from that which is evil. Psalms chapter 16, verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. David said earlier in the psalm I just read that. I know that God is right beside me at all times. He, he's at my, my right hand. I won't be moved. David realized that God is before him. 
man, if Christians live their lives knowing that God is right there, because he is, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit is within you. God is watching everything we do. If we had that at the forefront of our mind and everything we did, I think we'd live a different life. I think we would listen. There's probably some music we wouldn't have. There might be some shows we wouldn't have. There many of us would probably come soul winning more often. If we knew that God was with us at all times, it may even give us the courage to speak up knowing that God is with you. And I'm not speaking hypothetically because, because God is with us. Yet we seem to forget that, as important as that may be. When it comes to your imaginations, the things you dream about, the things you think about, God is there. In your daily life, God is there at all times. I will set no wickedness before me. Some of us know the things we struggle with and the things that, that get us. I would say the majority of people, if there's one struggle in the world, a lot of it's just going to come down to, down to your phone. Your phone has access to everything. A lot of us struggle. Uh, several teens throughout the years have gotten off of social media for some time because it was, they, just, they needed a break from their phone. They know that their phone has access to things that they shouldn't be into. And when they go home at night, I challenge you, even if parents, if this is a struggle, to set your phone aside certain time at night. Don't go, to, don't go to it anymore. Put filters. Do whatever you need to to protect yourself. And think ahead knowing if I go to this environment, if I go down this aisle, if I do this certain thing, if I go on this certain website, it may trigger something in my life. Think ahead. Be mature and set no wickedness before yourself. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. A forward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. So, number five here. I will not know a wicked person. Now, as we get older, a lot of times our, our friend group sort of gets smaller and smaller. When you're at school, you, you know a lot of people. You, you might have more friends. I mean, some people may not have as many friends as others. But generally, when you get older, you, you kind of, you know, you weed out the other friends and you really hang out with, you, you have a, a core group of friends. A lot of them come from church. I think they all should come from church. But it's still something that we need to be careful with. To not be around people that will pull us away from the Lord. David lists a few different kinds of people that we need to look out for. Look at verse 4. A froward heart shall depart from me. Froward. What does froward mean? Means perverse. Means distorted. It means crooked. Somebody who's perverse. That's kind of a, you know, a nasty word. We don't like to use that word. But David said in verse 4, anybody that's, that's distorted, that's, that's crooked, froward, someone that's perverse, that, that wants nothing to do with the things of God, I don't want anything to do with them. You may have a coworker. You you know you can't help but have coworkers. You have to have coworkers, and there may be situations that you can't get out of. But man, if you have the option, somebody that blasphemes God, that talks bad about God, that cares nothing about God, you can give them a track. You could witness to them, but don't need to hang around with them. Look in verse five: Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. So David says, I will not know a wicked person. First, first off, I won't know people that are perverse. 
And secondly, I don't want to know anybody who's a slanderer. Those that slander. Verse 5, whoso privily slandereth his neighbor. Slanderer. Kind of gives the kind of gives that impression of gossip, you know, uh, somebody who uh, accuses somebody of others, uh, somebody of doing something perhaps that isn't even true, one that raises and spreads a false report of another, that insinuates evil things upon him, that brings false charges and accusations against him. And it's in a private manner is when this is normally done. Look at verse 5, whoso privily slandereth. It's not like they walk up in front of everybody and just slander somebody. Slander is done in secret, usually, around a group of friends. Did you hear about this person? Did you hear what this, this so-and-so lets their kids do? Or did you see what happened to this kid? Oh, and gossip is so, so easy to get caught up in. And gossip doesn't start with kids. It goes all the way up the chain to parents. In fact, I think parents at times may struggle with it even more. Be careful when you're around each other. What are you talking about? It's, it's okay to fun, have fun, tell jokes and laugh, but are you laughing at the expense of someone else? What are some of the things you talk about? David says, be careful of the perverse, be careful of the slanderer. In the end of verse 5, be careful of the prideful. Look at verse 5. Him will I cut off, him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. He goes on to verse 7. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. The deceitful. David's saying, stay away from the perverse, from the slanderer, from the prideful. Verse 7, from the deceitful. Those that may not outright lie, but will sometimes deceive you into thinking that something might be true. They know how to manipulate. Kids are usually pretty good at this, manipulating their parents, getting them to you know, do things they want, partly doing something good to get something else they want. And David ends by saying, the last kind of wicked person I don't want to know is in verse 7b, an outright liar. He that telleth lies, verse 7, shall not tarry in my sight. Don't be around these people. People that are perverse, that just hate the things of God. People that slander and gossip. Those that are prideful. Those that are deceitful. They're, they're secretly conniving. They're secretly trying to meddle. And those that just lie. Lie about things here and there. David said, God, I don't want to be around them, Lord. Keep me away from them. And he goes so far as to say our last point. Verse 8. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land. I will destroy the wicked from my life. Destroy, obviously not to physically terminate these people. Though David was king, perhaps, what is the implication here? These people, I don't want them in my life. I will do everything I can to remove them. Anybody that pulls me away from God, that slanders, that blasphemes the name of God, that lies, that gossips, that just, that hurt me spiritually, I will remove them from my life. But it doesn't just say, I will eventually do it. Look in verse 8. What's the third word in verse 8? I will early. Early. So that gives the implication, it could, I want to do this soon. I will do it. I, I don't want to just 
prolong and wait. I don't want to hang out with them for a while and then eventually get around to, you know, slowly backing out of their life. No. David says, if I realize somebody is pulling me away from my Savior, from my Lord, I'm going to do it right away. Oh, early. Also could imply the time of day. I will, I will early, I will rise up. And spiritually speaking, we can rise up every morning early and say, Lord, I'm about to go out into the world. No doubt I'm going to run into those that don't love you, that, that are wicked, that don't please you. Lord, help me to, to not be affected by them, to not befriend them, even on accident, Lord. And not that we want to shun ourselves away from everybody else in the world. We still want to be a witness. We still want to be uh, we still want to show a smile on our face. We still want to invite people to church. We still want to, but when it comes to personally knowing them and letting them influence your life, David said, I don't want to take the risk of hurting my Savior and my name. Now at camp, we, sort, we had this on page six, but we kind of chant this before each service. And it wasn't until Thursday night where I challenged the teens to consider signing, saying, Lord, I want to make sure that what I sing and how I worship you, how I worship is unto you. Lord, I'm signing my name. I will behave myself wisely. Lord, I'm signing my name. I'm going to walk with a perfect heart. When I get home, I'm going to make sure my relationship with you how I walk, how I act at church, how I act around my friends and my family is the same way I would act in front of you. I would be mature. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Sign my name saying, Lord, I, I'm going to go home and I'm going to, things that are hindering me from serving you, things that are sinful, that are wicked, I'm going to get rid of them. Lord, I'm signing my name. People in bad influences in my life, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get rid of them. I'm going to get them out of my life. And I will destroy the wicked from my life. I don't want any part of it, God. I need your help. And the challenge was on Thursday to be able to sign this. So I ask you, watching, could you sign this? Could you say, I check all six of those boxes off? Not that you're perfect. There will be times. We're, we're humans. There will be a time, even in David's life, where we may fall. But even after David's sins, the Bible still could say that David was a man after God's own heart. Though David did have moments of weakness where he sinned, and they were bad sins, don't get me wrong, but God knew David's heart. When he came time for him to confess, he was absolutely gutted. He was just, he was horrified at what he did. He gave himself to God, and God knew David's heart. God knows your heart today. And you know, of the teens, I only, I didn't ask the teens to all sit down and sign it together. I wanted this to be something they did individually. And I challenged them to go up to a parent or to a, a leader and say, I signed it. Pray for me. Not to make it public, per se. I did have, I had one teen come up to me and say they signed it and asked me to pray for them. But I don't know about the rest. Some of the teens also said that they wanted to go home. They, there may have been a thing or two they had to get rid of in their life first before they signed it. So I ask you teens now, have you started working on those things? Or did you get home and kind of push it off to the side? Are you working at getting to a place in your life where you could be like David and you can say, yes, Lord, whatever you want, I will do it.
If it means getting rid of some things in my life, I'll do it. If it means changing perhaps my outlook on life, Lord, I'll do it. And parents, I challenge you to ask your kids, if you had a kid that went to camp, ask them, were you able to sign that? And if they weren't, how can I pray for you? How can I help you be able to sign? And maybe parents, maybe teens, you could ask your parent, could you sign that? Why or why not? Not to interrogate them, but to work on it together. To say, what are some things in my life here that I, could, I need to work on? Let's, as a family, let's serve the Lord with our life. At camp, I gave this illustration about uh, a young boy named Chris. And Chris was a boy that, he was like most boys, he, he hated the dark. And Chris was so scared of the dark that he would oftentimes, uh, you know, cry in the middle of the night. Mom and dad would come in, what's wrong, Chris? Oh, mommy, I'm scared of aliens. You know, you know how it works, right? And, oh, there's, no, there's nothing in your closet. And they'd open the door. So there's nothing in there. And they put him back to bed. But it doesn't matter. You know, once, once the quietness sits and the imagination starts to roll, it doesn't matter what a parent says. It's dark. It's scary. Chris, at one point, thought he'd, he'd, just, he'd never be able to sleep with the lights off. There was one particular day where... This was many years ago where, and Chris lived in a, a part of Canada actually, where they didn't have a lot of, you know, there was basically one family in the, in the, whole, city, in the whole little village they lived in that had a TV. This was many years ago. And this particular event, this special event was taking place. And as Chris and his family went over to their neighbor's house and gathered around the, the TV, they were able to watch for the first time somebody land on the moon, take that first step. And it was at that moment where Chris, his imagination just went wild. He could look and he could see just how dark everything was, but how beautiful the moon. And as they looked back at the earth, and his whole perspective changed even at a young age. From that moment on, Chris knew one thing. I've got to get to the moon. Or at very least, I've got to get to space. The only problem was, at this point in Chris's life, there were no Canadian astronauts. No Canadian had ever been to space before. The only, uh, the w- only really NASA, you know, that's an American thing, to, in order to even get into a lot of these programs, you had to be American or at least not Canadian. But you know what, that didn't stop Chris. Chris kept trying. In high school, he took courses. In, in, in college, he took specific courses to, to gear himself for just in case just in case one day Canada opens up their own space agency. One day, just in case it happens, I'm going to be ready for it. This was his mentality. He would join the Air Force. He became a pilot. and He, be, he tried to uh, fly as many different kinds of aircraft as he could. He wanted to be an experienced pilot, just in case that was his way in. And when that was finished, he would go into engineering and he'd take all these different classes and he just never stopped studying and learning and learning and learning. And he wanted, just in case the day came, he can go to space. And many of you probably know Chris Hadfield. He's very, he's a, he was the very first Canadian astronaut to ever make it into space. He's the first one. He has a YouTube channel 
It was real famous back in, I want to say 2012, maybe 13. He was up in space. He was the admiral or the captain of the space agency up there. And he was, at, at that point, the longest human that ever stayed up in space at that point. When he, when he came down, it was all over the news. When he had first come back from his first mission as being uh, the captain of the space station, he, uh, because up in, you know, up in space there's no gravity, he had to be carried off on a stretcher when he landed because he hadn't used his muscles in months and months and months. He had to use therapy and learn how to walk again. But Chris got very famous. Up, he started a YouTube channel in space. I don't know how the, I don't know how the signals were, but he was able to, kids started asking him questions like, how do you drink water in space? And he'd make a, a video, you know, and he'd show you how it would, you know, bubble up and he would play around with the liquid and all kinds of questions. You can look him up on YouTube. He's, he's a, uh, He's a pretty well-known person now. But Chris Hadfield would have never, ever been and even made it to that point. Because even of his age, when, when all of it was taking place, but because of his immense knowledge and experience, he not only made it to space, but he was the first one. The average Christian would, would say, Lord, I, I want to serve you. Oh, Oh, there's not even a Canadian space agency? I guess the door is closed. <laughs> I tried. A lot of us, we look for a closed door. We even sometimes help the door close. Oh, oh, man, I guess I can't do that. Lord, sorry. But not Chris. Chris says, oh, man, not only is the door closed, there's not even a door. <laughs> not even a house. I'll build the house. I'll help build the space agency. I'll learn what I can. And Chris became one of the ones to help even start and structure Canada's first research in technology and developing it. Imagine if Chris had been a sold-out Christian with that mentality as a boy. seeing What if he saw on the news uh, an evangelist preaching, seeing people get saved? What if Chris said, oh, I've got to do that, Lord. I've got to do that. If Chris could dedicate his life to God and he had parents and he had friends and family helping and pushing and developing and, and, and encouraging to, to give his life to God and door one would close. Ah, it doesn't matter. I'll just, I'll try a different door. Ah, that door closed. Ah, it's fine. I'll try over here. Door after door after door would get closed. But no, I know, Lord, I've got to serve you. I know I've got to worship you, God. That doesn't sound like the average person today. Ah, it's too expensive. There's no money in that. Ah, it's dangerous. Ah, it's far away from me. And we see, we, we almost create doors in the lives of our children and sometimes in our own lives. My challenge to you is this. To be able to look up to God as a teen, as a parent. And could you look up to God as David did in Psalm 101 and say, Lord, I will. I'll do what you want. I'll, I'll. I know, at the very least, your will for my life is to serve you as best as I can. And that's what I'm going to strive to do. Could you sign, could you say, Lord, I, I will. I will do whatever it takes. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.